Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, it has just gone midday here at Brenguru Studios, which means it is once again time for the call. 10 different stocks, two experts, and we're going to go through all of them on time today. Now, joining me in the studio is Mark Morland from Team Invest. G'day, Mark. Hello, Andrew. Can we stick to time today, do you think? It's not me. You're the one who controls the time. Everyone Scott blames I, me. Scott and I just answer the questions and you can't control the time. Don't blame us. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Scott, uh, what do you reckon about that? Uh, by the way, hello from uh, down in Barrel uh, from Motley Fool. How are you going? Morning, gentlemen. I just want to say that you guys just argued for about a minute and a half on who controls the time. And all I'm saying is I sat here quietly. <laughs> yeah, there, that is the definition of irony. So let's let's get straight into it. Um, well, before we get to our 10 stocks, we always have a stock of the day. Today, we thought we'd talk a bit about Megaport, a provider of elastic interconnected services, which is a bit of a mouthful. But this is a fascinating business. On one hand, it is trading on about 35 times sales, which is really up there in nosebleed territory but its sales are up about six-fold in three years today. It just reported some pretty strong numbers and for the first time ever has hit cash flow positivity. Uh, Scott, I'll give you the first crack of this one. Is this the kind of company you'd go for? Despite all those comments, of course, Andrew, the share price is down, which tells you exactly everything you need to know about the market and what it's expecting right now. It doesn't care about the profits or the cash flows. It just wants growth and more of it, and the growth wasn't good enough. Uh, look, you know, I really like Megaport. It's probably too speculative for me to invest in or recommend to our members. But uh, A, Bevan Slattery is an absolute guru and has got such a strong track record. You're nuts to bet against him actively, so I wouldn't be shorting it anytime soon. What I also like, I've talked about this before, it's that gym membership model where if everyone who, who actually joined the gym went at the same time, you couldn't move in the place. But of course, most people don't or they go at different times or whatever. And so the gym gets to sell effectively more capacity than it can ever deliver. Now you can say that's arguably a, <laughs> a, a you know, understandable business model, except the gyms do it and do it well. Megaport's doing the same thing. It's basically promising to deliver a certain amount of bandwidth to its customers. That elasticity, as you talk about, gives each individual customers the room to flex. And Megaport basically taking the bet that if it sells 25 you know, memberships, if I can use that term again, only 10 or 12 will use them at any one time. And that generally tends to be true. They get to skim the margin. So it's a really, really nice, really attractive business model. I like it a lot. If you're buying a, a kind of a speculative growth portfolio, you're buying <clears> an inner portfolio, I quite like the company. Um, I don't know if you're buying it outright and expecting it, it alone, given the current price, by the way, to go to the moon. Listen, we actually spoke to the CEO just a moment ago on Ausbiz. Here's a bit about what he had to say. But uh, in, as, as we've all seen in recent months now, the, the Australian uh, dollar has accelerated and appreciated against the US dollar. Uh, 50% of our business is actually in the US in terms of our revenue and our earnings uh, and, our, and our cost base as well. So while it does have an impact uh, to a degree on our revenues, uh, which we've outlined in our uh, update this morning, it also has uh, uh, an opposite effect on our cost base because over half our cost base is in US dollars. So 
Yeah, we have to account for that, don't we, Mark? Uh, we all know what the Aussie dollar has done recently. Does that, uh, does that, uh, I guess, account for some of the uh, lackluster growth or not as much growth as the market would have otherwise liked? Well, when we talk about growth, there's sales growth and there's earnings growth. Mm -hmm. Now, you, uh, Scott pointed out that the earnings have been growing quite strongly. Uh, that's true. No, sorry. The sales, sales have been going quite strongly. But really if you look at the graph, the, the sales are going up like that and the earnings are going down like that. So that every, for every dollar worth of sales, they lose more. So they're actually, uh, the business model, even though it may sound like it's a good model uh, and it should be prospectively profitable, it isn't and they haven't been and they've lost money every year and it's basically been accelerating. So they lost 20% of their equity last year and the way they're making it up is through uh, capital raisings and the share, shares on outstanding have gone from 40 million to 152, uh, 152 million over uh, about the six years since it's listed. Well, that is that is true, although the shares are up about sixfold in the last four years. On well, a that's price market base. sentiment. Market. That's, well, I'm talking about the business. Yes, yeah, yeah sure, so, sure. So the market sentiment yeah, is it's done really well. And of course, that takes the pressure off the company as well, yep. because if the share price is flying, there's an argument to say you really don't want to be making a profit because as soon as you start making a profit, you have a P ratio and then people start looking at you and go, hang on, how can this be worth so much money when uh, it's not making much? Well, let me let me play devil's advocate here. And by the way, I don't have any, I've got no, I've got no uh, axe to grind here or any um, ulterior motives, but devil's advocate, the argument would be is that they're really building a platform here. Once they've got that largely built, they've got a very established cost base, very fast growing revenues. When they do kick into profitability and they've just kicked into cash flow positivity, those earnings come through, but then they start to accelerate really, really, really fast. So if we sort of look out five years or so, potentially it is very profitable and potentially that PE is not even that high. Well, it might be. I mean, the, the, that's the big thing. It's a speculative bit because at the end of the day, as uh, you pointed out, was it 38 times? 35, uh, I 35 think. 35 times sales. sales. Yeah, so they're a long way away from actually capitalising on this. I'd say they've had six years already. Now, this is a cap should be a reasonably capital-like business because what they're doing is they're contracting all the big data centres and so on, as, as Scott said, to buy capacity and then they're reselling it. Why haven't they made a profit in six years? Well, why is it continuing to get worse and worse on the story of building this platform? Mm -hmm. I would have thought the platform would have been built six years ago. But anyway, let's give them a benefit of the doubt on that. You've also got a situation where the um, will they be dominant enough to have the network effects to make that happen? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are sort of putting themselves in as intermediate, into an intermediary position with the big data providers like Amazon and Azure and others, I imagine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is that a viable position? I don't know. Okay. Okay. It's such a fascinating space because uh, there are a lot of companies we could have this exact conversation with here in early 2021. We don't have time, of course. So let's go to a completely different business. And this one has actually been sent in by Peter. Metcash is the company, MTS is the code. Mark, I'll give you first crack at this one. Um, we were talking about sales growth before. Uh, this is the opposite, is it not? Yes, well this is a uh, very mature business. Yeah. So you'd have to describe it. Yes. Um, and they, their uh, growth rate, uh, their EPS growth rate is running at 0.7% a year, which is arguably less than inflation. Flat. Yeah. So that's not good. Mm. Uh, you can still make good money on, um, on companies even without any growth at all, but, uh, but you need to have, buy them at a PE ratio that's low enough and really, they're currently on 14 times earnings mm. and they really need to be down below uh, probably about 10 or 9 mm. to be able to give you, a, say, a 10% return. Yeah. So Metcash is a solid business, got very stable earnings, 96% stability, 98% stability in sales. 
Their sales are dropping at a currently about 2% a year, which is not ideal. So they're losing business. You know, they're not gaining business. Yeah. Uh, it makes it harder. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's an okay business. The debt's a bit high. It's about 79% uh, debt to equity, but that would probably include a lot of leases now under the new accounting rules. And we're showing it returning 2.1% per year on the next five years on our default setting, which is our more generous uh, Team invest setting, yeah. so two percent a year. So if you if you want to if you want two percent a year, met cash is the go. Okay, and if you want more, probably not. No. Well, well Scott, what about this? Um, you can get about three point eight percent in terms of dividends. Mark's right to factor in, of course, the capital side of things there as well, which might be a bit of a headwind. But can you make the case for met cash? No, I can't, mate. In fact, I'd, I'd happily make the case that Mark's making, which is if met cash is in your portfolio, great. Take the money and put it somewhere else. <laughs> I think to Mark's point, that, that is a generous assumption uh, that assumes nothing gets worse, and it may not. I think the thing about Metcash, look, there's so many ranges of possibilities. We mentioned Megaport, and the range of outcomes is massive, right? It is everything from going stone mothers broke through to you know winning the world and, and everything that goes with it, and pretty much everything in between. Metcash's upside is what? Maybe they maybe they hang around. Maybe Woolies and Coles don't kill them too quickly. Maybe they can pivot to liquor in a way that gives them some sort of longevity. And I don't mean to be, to be cruel or harsh at the company, by the way, but realistically, where does the growth come from? And the answer is probably nowhere. So you go, okay, that's that's the upside. Now consider the rest of the, the scenarios. Costco, Aldi, Woolworths, Coles, Kaufland themselves pulled out of the Australian market because they couldn't compete. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really tough, really, really structurally tough industry to compete in against two giants, by the way, that capture all of the profitability while Metcash has to share it with its, with its retail partners, with the actual stores themselves. And because Metcash is a box mover, doesn't have a lot of margin potential, margin enhancement potential, I should say, and all downside operational leverage on the downside, if and when volumes fall, they're gonna move a certain number of boxes through a certain fixed cost capacity warehouse. Yeah, there's some variability about the number of trucks or, you know, but realistically that's on the edges. If volumes fall, they've got nowhere to go. Maybe they don't, maybe they manage to survive, hang on, uh, I won't say thrive, maybe they hang on. If that, but if that's your best case scenario and you run the risk of what happens when this thing becomes sub-economic in some certain geographical or areas or industries, tough business. I, I don't envy anyone running this company like someone trying to run Qantas or something else, but I certainly would be putting my money into it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we actually had Woolies on the show yesterday and we couldn't get any love uh, from our experts then either. That has got a, a much better outlook, but again, you're paying a lot for it. So the return potential wasn't great. So I think some very useful comments, Peter. I hope that has helped you out there. Uh, let's talk about uh, milk. Let's talk about A2 milk. Rex has written in about that. Now, here's a company that was just sort of dominating headlines, dominating investor attention for many, many, many years. Uh, although they've had a bit of a rough run in the past six months or so, Scott, is now the time to buy? I think it is, Andrew. I think the, the A2 milk story is an ongoing story. And frankly, while they've had a couple of setbacks, and they're not inconsequential setbacks, the share price is almost halved. Mm. And I think if you can find you know, Warren Buffett's great business on an operating table, that's generally a good opportunity. Now, look, I, I say this every time we're on the show, and I'll keep saying it because it's important. Individually, I may get some of these calls wrong, but probabilistically, if I could find a dozen businesses of the quality of A2 milk at the current PE and price, I'd happily buy them, and I'm pretty sure I'd beat the market. So that's the lens we're using here. We're not saying every every buyer is absolutely and, and you know um, unequivocally a winner. We can't have that. We can't know that. But A2 Milk is a really strong business with really strong sales momentum. Australia, a little bit in Asia, a little bit in North America. But the, the momentum is really strong and P is under 25 now. Now, that's not a cheap PE, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is bargain value investor territory. <clears throat> what I am saying is for a business with the long-term growth track record, 
And realistically, no, I don't think any any reasonable reason to believe that the growth has stopped permanently. And if you believe that's true, then you're getting a chance to buy. And you see there, back in 2018 levels, uh, for a business that is undoubtedly stronger than it was then with a stronger brand, much higher uh, loyalty, much higher reach, I think this is one of those businesses that is poised for bigger and better things. I don't know what the short term brings. It may well struggle for, for months or, or halves. Uh, but realistically, this is a, a business with lots of potential. I will say on the risk side, I've said before, A2 Milk is A2 Milk. Doesn't have a lot of brand extension there. And if A2 as a concept goes away, I've used the example before of vitamins with garlic tablets, for example. You know, Blackmore sells other vitamins these days. It sells almost no garlic. And yet 25 years ago, garlic was the only thing we were all taking. Blackmore's can pivot. A2 can't. That's the risk for that business is if the product simply becomes out of favor, if we all go to A1 or A3 or almond milk or oat milk or whatever else we're drinking these days, maybe A2 future gets crimped. You've got to keep a really close eye on that. But that aside, I think A2's future is bright. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's very much about marketing, and that's often the way that this one is pitched. Um, Mark, Scott makes some interesting points, although one thing I would add to that is even if even if he's right here and the business is not structurally impacted at all and the future is much brighter, it's one of these things that does test your fortitude as an investor, doesn't it? Because oh. you can be right, things can be cheap, but things can get cheaper and they can stay cheap for a long, long time. And that, I think, is half of the battle. But is, is that a battle that you'd be prepared to take? Oh, absolutely. Um, A2 Milk has um, been a wealth winner uh, for team invest members. So it's fairly, really, fairly widely held. I have, I'm a shareholder. Mm -hmm. I'm only a recent shareholder. I bought on this drop. Okay. You know, so I liked A2 when it was $22. Mm -hmm. So I like it a lot better at $10, 10 or whatever it is at the moment. Yeah. So uh, they, the, if you look at the history of A2, it's a, it is definitely a marketing story. And that their money isn't made in milk. It's made in baby formula, mm -hmm. dried powder, milk, uh, A2 brand. Uh, our understanding is their market leader now in China from a brand branding point of view. They're doing extremely well at retail. You know, there's baby shops over there. Uh, China's a very interesting market because there's obviously plenty of babies and because they, they've, they've got rid of the one child policy but there's still, uh, that's still largely the reality. Mm -hmm. And therefore you have parents, grandparents on two sides. So there's all these people special, you know, focusing no on, expense on the, on the yeah. special child. Yeah. And A2 is very expensive. It's the most expensive one and they're gaining market share all the time. So interestingly, if you look at the business, they run at a 22% profit margin. That's 22% after tax on milk. You don't have now, that this many is a companies. commodity product. Mm -hmm. so this is all about branding. So what they've I'm going to give you another example of a high net margin business later on, but please go okay, on. Okay, yep. okay. So so you can't argue that they've done a brilliant job of branding and marketing. Uh, they've got about 500 million last time I looked in cash on the balance sheet with no debt and their growth rate was over 100% a year since they listed. Okay. So sales have been growing at 60% a year and earnings have been growing at 100. So it doesn't get any better than that. So mm -hmm. if you look at it and say, if this business is sustainable over the next uh, five years or the next economic cycle, 20p is actually very, very low. Uh, it's the bottom of the green for us, yep. the bottom, bottom quartile, bottom of the bottom quartile yep. of the P range. Yep. Says bargain. Yep. Going back to your question about uh, psychology, some of our members have said, oh, but you know, they, they, maybe there's more to the, the prices drop is more to the fact than just that the Daigao sales have uh, dropped down. And basically what they said was the students uh, that aren't from China that aren't coming in and sending it all back because of the um, flight um, restrictions, yep. well, no, no students and so on coming in, that part of the business has really shut down, which mm. has hit their earnings heavily. Yep. That's a short-term thing. 
And now the price is halved. Like, to me, that's just a screaming buying opportunity. There's nothing like having a big share price drop to test your convictions. That's right. It, it scares it, you. Though. People go, oh, maybe does. there's more. Maybe there's something else we don't yeah. know. And we're, none of us are immune to I that. Know, no, by no, the no. Way. It's, yeah. in our bio, it's in our biology. Yeah. We have, we have to deal with it. Yeah. And I think it's acknowledging that is, is the first step. So Rex uh, sent that question in. I hope that has helped you, Rex. That's two thumbs up from our experts. In fact, that's not the first time we've had two thumbs up. It is in the calls portfolio. And after today, it remains there. Let's Let's talk electro-optic systems. Mark, this is a really interesting business. This one is in the defense uh, contracting space, actually formed back in 1983. So it's been around forever. It's actually been listed for close to 20 years on the ASX. They've played about $800 million into R&D. Tough a- area, but sales have been growing really, really strongly of late. Is it, a, is it, it probably doesn't pass the team invest no. filters, but does it, does it pique your interest in any way? Not really. Um, we, 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 we work on the basis that we are trying to speculate on what will be a good business. Um, what we, want to, we want to see the evidence. So show me a good business that I can then understand and uh, assess the risks and the moats, competitive advantages, management, reliability and trustworthiness and all of that, and predict what I think the earnings are going to be going forward. So t- until businesses are uh, profitable, you really you can't do that. Because it's, it's just too many. And you can have something that has a brilliant business model that's totally logical and go, yeah, yeah, that's a winner. But then do you have the management to actually turn that into uh, something that's going to give a return to shareholders? These, these are profitable. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'll get, I mean, only recently so, but I'll, yep. I'll, I'll throw that in there. They, they, right. have, they, have, they have passed that pivot point. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, it's been up and down like a yo-yo over, the, uh, over, yeah. the, uh, over the 10 years. So it's been, I've got 10 years history here, so it's been around for quite a while. Yeah. So it's not the kind of business we'd look at. It's on a PE of 42 at the moment. Um, I've never, we've never looked at it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's got, it's got, you're right, it's got $18 million in earnings on $165 million in sales, and its market cap's about $800 million. So it is, it is profitable, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have any stability. From our point of view. So if I look at earnings, they're like this. They yeah, are. from here to so I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't value it. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, Mark makes a pretty good point there, Scott. I, I think one of the things you have to think about with a business like this, particularly when your customers, you know, it's not mum and dad uh, customers, consumers here that are buying these defence military. Uh, 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 hardware here. So you're dealing with governments, you're dealing with very lumpy sales, but if you look through that, can you make a case for electro-optic? I don't think you can make a compelling fundamental case, Andrew. I think to Mark's point, and even to yours, the key thing is, let's say they've been horribly or wonderfully successful over the last 20 years. Let's just, let's even bake that and assume that's true. The question for, for me, if I'm talking to our members or even any viewers, readers, anybody, saying, you know, why would you recommend this company? What is it that you expect it will do? And more importantly, if it went wrong, and someone said to me, well, why didn't you expect that? Or what did you expect? I don't mind being wrong. I don't like being wrong if I don't have a good reason for being wrong. In other words, think about electro-optic systems. It's in defense contracting. Tell me what's gonna happen over the next 10 years in terms of its market, the technology, the the, the priorities of the particular governments buying this this software or this hardware. You know, think, think that right through and think, what chance have you got of actually forecasting that? What chance do we have of knowing how that's gonna play out? And if you have, if the answer is I don't know, you have no business buying this at any fundamental level. You can you can make a, a broad speculation and say, well, maybe you know geopolitical tensions keep getting higher, and therefore maybe space becomes a really important part of defence, and therefore maybe the American government keeps buying, and therefore maybe electro-optic systems gets the business. And if you add those together, you can make an argument. So yeah, that's what you should buy. If you can't though, or you're not prepared to put all those ifs together, you look at yourself and say, why am I buying this stock? A trend, a theme is not enough. I've said so many times before, airlines are a great example of, hey, airline travel is gonna go up 10,000 fold in 50 years. 
Do you want to buy the airlines? I would have mortgaged my house and bought the airlines in 1970 if you'd given me that thesis and I would have lost a lot multiple times over. And so I've learned that lesson, which is don't just buy the trend, don't just buy the volume, wait to make sure you have a really strong fundamental view of why a business will be successful. And not, again, when I say thesis, I don't mean speculation, guess, I reckon, but literally put yourself down and say, it will be successful because of these knowable or estimable future outcomes. And if you mm. can't do that, don't buy the stock. And that's why I'm saying away. All right, uh, that one was sent in by Mike. So Mike, uh, a bit of food for thought there. I hope it does help you. Let's talk lottery tickets here. And I don't mean uh, in by nature of this business is a lottery ticket. I mean, it's involved in lottery tickets. Very important distinction to make here. I am, of course, talking about Jumbo Interactive. Gavin has sent that one in. Mark, I mentioned before I talk, I give you a high net margin business. The net margins for Jumbo in the last full financial year was 35%, yeah. which ain't bad. Ain't bad. Return on equity is 30%. Sales have been growing through the roof. Scott, I've got to give you first crack on this one. Is it one that ticks any boxes? I like Jumbo Interactive, Andrew. I like it because despite, or maybe as the opposite to what we just talked about before, Jumbo is a business that we can reasonably estimate at least a medium term future for. And if you can do that, I think you're in a pretty good place. So here's the, here's the broad thesis. We know more people are shopping online for everything, and that includes lottery tickets. So take that broad tailwind. We saw during 2020, the absolute ramp up of e-commerce. I haven't seen recent numbers, but it went from something like 15% of the American population to a third in the three months to March. Remember that was before the worst of COVID. So let's assume it's 38, 40, 45 by now. Mm. Um, that is a remarkable increase. The same will be happening here in Australia. So let's put that data point there first. Second is, we know people are going to keep gambling, better or worse. We can make ethical decisions about that, but separating that from the business, more and more people are gonna to continue to buy their lotto tickets online. Those two combined are a really, really nice tailwind for Jumbo. And I think the reality is gonna be that if you think about, and again, take the ethical view of this one, when I get sent the email to say, hey, guess what? Lotto's been drawn, here were, like, here were yesterday's numbers. What they're intrinsically saying is, and by the way, would you like to buy a ticket for next time? They don't say that out loud, so they're not actually marketing to me. What they're doing is reminding me that maybe I want to click the button at the bottom of the email and buy another lotto ticket. And mm. so they're assuming that's possible or maybe even hopeful. Add to that, as I said, the broader online trend. I have every belief that people are more likely to buy a lot of tickets once they're online than offline. So you've got a move for market share online plus a higher propensity to buy online. And then Jumbo is going into an international with its lotteries as a service software offering. That's, to my mind, a bit of a free option. I won't say completely free because Jumbo is trading at a reasonably high PE. So it's not, it's not, it's not bargain basement territory. But if it's able to convert some of those potential largely not-for-profit lotteries or, or raffle customers to customers, um, they'll be a really, really strong set of dual drivers for that business for the foreseeable future. The risk is that it, has a, it operates under a license with Tabcorp. Uh, and if that goes away, uh, then of course Jumbo's business goes away. They've re-signed recently an 10-year extension, so it's a long time away, <clears throat> but it's still possible. I think Jumbo's a buy. Yeah, um, I'm really glad Scott brought up the SaaS part of the business here. This definitely is the blue sky part of it. The business is actually saying they reckon they can get a billion dollars in total transaction volume by FY22, which is not that far away. Mm -hmm. uh, if they can do it, I suppose the it's... Transaction, transaction value, they mean tickets sold? That's it. Yeah, it's through, the, through their <laughs> yeah. platform. So they obviously, they're not yeah. getting the billion dollars. <laughs> they're getting a margin on that billion dollars. Nevertheless, based on what their current margins are on that kind of business, yep. it is a serious uptick in sales. Yes. If they can do <clears> it, do you think they can do it? Well, I, I agree with um, what Scott said. And the SaaS side of the business, they've now got time to really build that out because they've got 10 years on their uh, Tabcorp contract, which is the, 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 it provides the base level for the business to operate The bread under. and butter. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that, that's pretty safe. And their growth rate has been uh, quite spectacular. EPS growth has been running at 79% mm. a year and sales at 11. And that, what that's showing you is how much uh, leverage they have on earnings because it's a very, very capital-light business. Yeah. So all they're doing is providing software. They've, they have quite a lot of charities in Australia that they're doing. And obviously, they get a share of the, uh, the ticket sales for their fees. And yep. you've got to say that's a pretty good model and they're, they're extending that overseas. So if I look at the rest of the numbers, it's showing return on equity of 33%. Uh, which is very high, uh, quite good stability in sales at 87%, a bit less in um, earnings, but uh, we're showing it returning 77% a year on default if they can keep growing at the rate they've been growing. And on a margin of safety, it brings it down to just sub 10%. Mm. So, uh, and that's largely because the earnings get discounted significantly because the sales aren't growing as fast as the uh, earnings are. That may change. So I'd, I'd, I've got to agree with Scott. I think it's a it's a uh, a pretty good risk reward ratio, and the P at the moment's in the middle of the black for us, which is 32 times, which is not okay. It's not low, but it's not unreasonable considering its earnings growth and prospects. Yep. So okay. I'd say yes. Then two thumbs up. Yeah. Two thumbs up, which means it's in the portfolio. I'm wiping my brow a little bit here because I bought some not too long ago here. <laughs> so I didn't want to say to you, gents, uh, just in case it went pear-shaped. But uh, yeah, I think I think you make a good case, Gavin. I hope that's given you some food for thought. Bear in mind, though, with me buying it, that is probably the biggest bear signal that you will ever hear. So you have been fairly warned. Mark, let's talk, uh, let's talk a business that uh, hasn't got stable earnings. Let's talk about McMahon. Dan has uh, written in about this one, Mining Services. She's you know, very, very lumpy in terms of its performance, but I guess you can still do well if you time it right. That's right, <clears throat> you can. Uh, these guys do a lot of civil engineering as well, so it's mining services and, uh, right. and bridges yep. and roads and things like that, which is traditionally hard and very low margin and plenty of risk. If you make a mistake, you know, you've, got, you've got big problems. So Cost um, overruns. That's and right. Like, yeah. uh, for us, it fails on stability and also on both sales and earnings, as you mentioned, it's all over the shop. Return on equity is okay debt, everything else, it, it, they all look all right. Mm. And at the moment, it doesn't look expensive. It's right just in the green at 27 cents, so the PE is 8.7, which is pretty low. Well, on its range, it's in the bottom quartile, mm. top of the bottom quartile of its normal trading range. Yep. So for McMahon, it's at a low PE. Uh, and, and I think objectively, it's a low PE if it's a profitable business. And the earnings have been very strong in the last uh, last year, last three years, they've been on a steady rise, uh, mm. upward trend. Yep. So uh, they were much higher back in 2012, like seven cents. Uh, sorry, um, two two dollars forty or two dollars fifty, and now they're down to about a dollar fifty or something. So the the they've run right down the lows in 2016, 17, and then come back up. That's pretty typical of the cyclical nature of the industry, by the way. Yeah. If I look at that graph, there's a lot of engineering and services companies that are, would be similar to that. Mm. So they're definitely on the ascendancy and they seem quite cheap. Yeah. Doesn't, not enough stability for us, uh, but it doesn't, look, it doesn't look expensive. Uh, but it wouldn't be a buy for the purposes no. of this show? Okay, no. yeah. Uh, Scott, what do you reckon? I'm kind of inclined to agree with Mark. We do a lot of agreeing today, Mark. We'll have to find a, a fight to pick in the second half of the show. The, uh, the McMahon share price is so cheap and the P is so low right yeah. now that it is super, super tempting, right? Unless this is structurally damaged and in some sort of permanent way, I have to believe it's a business that has reasonable promise of outperforming. The problem, as Mark's already highlighted, is you have to get the, the cycle roughly right, particularly now it's bounced meaningfully off those lows. Now, I'm not someone who buys or sells based on charts, but was it three three times the price it was all, all that long ago? Um, a lot of the a lot of the recovery seems to be priced into this one. Only eight times earnings, as I said, but as I said, that, that's one of those transient numbers. And over time, we will potentially see that come back 
um, you know, as and when profits grow. Now, the, the risk for McMahon, of course, is that we don't know how long the cycle is or how good it gets. In hindsight, we look back and say, ah, that was the right time to buy, that was the right time to sell. Always the case with cycles. I'm kind of predisposed to thinking that given the high commodity prices right now, it seems to me likely that we'll be adding production volumes where possible, mm. particularly yeah. in Australia, but also around the world to take advantage of that. So if I'm if I'm setting a, a market, I think it's probably more likely than not that McMahon goes on to beat the market from here, um, just because that trend, if, if I'm right, and it should be the case that more volume is added. If I'm right, that should continue to be the case for a decent number of years yet. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if this one beats the market from here, but that's a kind of a couple of speculations added back to back that I'm not prepared to make take a bet on or more importantly how our viewers take a bet on just yet so again look if you if you want to put a, a basket of these together i talk about that every now and again this feels like one that belongs in that sort of you know intelligent cyclical speculation basket i'll have to come up with a better marketing name than that uh, but i don't think by itself it's a buy it's an interesting one this one actually goes back to 1991 i think it listed at about 50 cents so uh, there is a, a mark against long-term investing if you back the wrong <laughs> company, which, uh, and here's another interesting one, pre-GFC, it was at $1.50 a share. So uh, as we said yesterday on the show, when you look at a chart, context matters. So you can always pick a time frame where things have gone well. It's been a wonderful performer over five years. Maybe the next five years it will perform well as well. But just bear in mind, Dan, who wrote in about this, uh, it's likely to be a bumpy ride. Okay, we're halfway through the show. So let's do a quick recap. And gents, you'll be pleased to know thanks to my wonderful moderation we are bang on time uh, and it's all me let's have a look at megaport uh, the very interesting company super strong sales growth uh, no earnings in fact earnings are even falling faster than sales are growing it seems so uh, we couldn't get the gents over the line although acknowledging an interesting business model uh, we wish them every success but they're not going to tip their money into it we got to metcash this is a business whose sales seem to be just dropping a little bit each and every year uh, profits let's call that flat and for the, the the exposure to that you might get a three and a half percent odd yield or so fully franked but uh, that's probably about as much as you're going to get so that was a pass as well we got to a2 milk this is in the calls portfolio it's still going to be in the portfolio after today a wonderful marketing business it's just you know really shot the lights out in recent years yes it's fallen out of favor in the last six months or so and by a lot to be fair down about 50 percent because of challenges around daigu uh exposure and the rest of it but the gents think that this is a short-term hit and are happy to buy at these levels we then talked about defense uh, hardware uh difficult space it was just a pass, unfortunately, from the two guys there. Jumbo Interactive, lottery tickets, software platforms, big aspirations for growth, nice high net margins. Two buys there. So that's, uh, that's in the portfolio. And then we got to McMahon, very, very lumpy, very, very long history, although not the best history, it should be said. So that was a sell. What does all of that mean? Well, as I've alluded to multiple times here, we've got our own portfolio. Thanks to our sponsor, Nabtray. We've been doing that since July 1, 2020. And let's have a look at how things have performed since then. Well, still sitting around that 24% mark with a flat ish performance over the last month or so uh, you can see what has chopped and changed by looking at that web address at the bottom of your screen if you're listening to the podcast that's osbiz.co forward slash portfolio here are some of the stocks we've added recently i think it might have been with you guys we added objective corp or maybe my memory fails me but uh it's certainly been added to the portfolio magellan financial group big tin can nick scarley and a2 milk uh, so let's get into the second half of the show here 
We are covering a whole spectrum of different sectors today. So let's go to the biotechnology space. And Tim wants to know about Polynovo. Uh, Mark, I'll let you have uh, the first crack at this one. This is an interesting one, right? I know what you're going to say, so I'm going to I'm going to try and play devil's advocate okay. in advance here, um, and I don't have any any interest in the business. Loads of losses, unprofitable. Uh, you know, thrown millions and millions of dollars into R and D. However, however, they have seen their sales increase uh, exponentially, really sixfold in the last three years. They've got this wonderful Novozorb <coughs> product. Uh, even in the most recent quarter, we saw sales jump by about 75% or so. That's, that's in Q1, I believe. So I gave you a high price to sales before, Mark. This one's on a price to sales of 76, but it is growing like the clappers. Can you make a case for it? Um, I, I find the biotech area very difficult anyway, because we, we like working, I like it, well, I like investing and Team Invest members typically like investing within their circle of competence. Mm -hmm. And when you don't understand something, and it's a bit like what Scott said about the defence industry and so on, like how would you know, you know, whether, what the opportunities are, you know, whereas some things like milk powder, I get that, you know, this is, that's a, A2 milk's a simple business, Nick Scarley's a simple business. This is building, uh, if anyone doesn't know, they, they have a bioabsorbable polymer technology called Novazorb. So <laughs> it's a high-tech uh, product that helps do regeneration. So it's like a scaffold for your yeah, body for the, for the to body grow. Can grow yeah. Which sounds great. Now, yeah. there's others in that space, I believe. Yep. Uh, but the, the, the evidence of the sales increasing very dramatically is very encouraging. So you are paying a lot for the potential, but it may turn out to be a big success story. But I couldn't deal with it because I have no way of knowing uh, what that means from a profitability point of view. But yeah. the sales growth is very, uh, very, very impressive, which means they must be getting traction Th in they, the market. They definitely, I mean, this is, this is kind of why people invest in this space. We know it's super high risk, but when you get past that R&D phase and you yeah. actually have a product and you actually start selling that product, that's a very interesting milestone yeah to kind of hit. But what is also equally interesting with this is that when that happened, the market tends to, it's a bit of a pendulum, it swings too yeah. far in both directions. Bit of bad news, things get overly pessimistic. Bit of good news, things get overly optimistic. And we yep. saw last year, shares went from two bucks to $4 in the space of a couple months. Yep. Yes, on the back of some good news, but then that has been completely undone, as you can see on your chart there, in the space of, well, really in the space of about a month or so. Scott, is there a lesson to be learnt from, from that? Even when a business is doing what you'd expect it to do, the market can be pretty brutal in testing your, uh, in testing your conviction. Yeah, I think, Andrew, you've just given us the lesson because that's exactly what we should be thinking about is uh, one of your favourite phrases, mate, it will fluctuate. Um, and it's one of that we talked about, Megaport at the beginning, right? Everything's going well, except not as well as the market wanted, so the shares fell today. And you kind of think, what else do we have to do, guys? And that's where we need to separate the company from the share price or from the market, right? Often we talk about the company as if it's the problem. Oh, Polynova's gone nowhere in 12 months, so therefore, or Polynova's up a lot in 12 months, so therefore, what we're really saying is investors have cooled on it or investors have got excited about it over the yeah. last 12 months. And that's okay too, by the way, but it's just a reminder that we shouldn't confuse the company with the share price or the, or the shares themselves as they trade on the ASX. It's, it is, it's gonna be volatile, it's hugely volatile. and. Uh, you always want to be careful with these sort of companies. You don't necessarily need to avoid them. You just need to know what you're buying when you buy them. If, if these are popular stocks, or frankly, very, very unpopular stocks, and the shares are moving in a, in a, in a single direction, if the, as I said before, if the tide's all the way in, well, guess, guess the, other, the only direction it can go from here, and that's out. If it's all the way out, well, I guess it can still go further. Shares can always go to zero, but there's a decent chance that at some point the trend turns. Now, don't try and play the trend. 
don't try and play the turn. But if you're buying them, just be be mindful. Biotech stocks, tech stocks, mining stocks, the usual suspects, the, the kind of discussion board stocks on we know on the usual platforms. Um, the ones that are hyped the most tend to be the ones that can be more volatile because when the hype stops, all of a sudden, you know, when the music stops, there's no one left dancing at the party. So just be careful of that. That being said, I think Polynovos, look, it's a really cool business. And I think the three of us and most people watching will say, gee, I hope it wins. I hope it's successful. Because if you're doing spray on skin, man, how cool is that? Like, you know, the ability to genuinely change the lives of Burns victims, you almost feel like you're, you know, you're, you're screwed saying, look, it's not worth buying. And then, well, come on, it's doing the right thing. It's doing good. The no, problem is that for, as investors, we're not adding money to those companies. We're simply exchanging the shares between ourselves. I'm... I, I want, I, for those reasons, I want to be positive, but I can't be. I think it's very, very expensive. I can't justify the current P for the reasons Mark says. These are the stocks, by the way, that are made to look at, make us look stupid because I'll get 15 of these wrong, or sorry, I'll get 14 right and one wrong. The one I get wrong goes up 100%. And someone says, see, you, you know, you're an idiot, Phillips. What are you doing talking about the company? There is no fundamental basis for the valuation right now other than extrapolation and speculation. If you want to do that, knock yourself out. You might be right, but um, be very, very careful because these ones are really hard to value. Yeah, some solid points there uh, for Tim. Um, and I, I would just add to that too. This is one of those examples potentially where the business does go on to pr perform admirably, but if you pay too much for it, no business is worth an infinite amount, whether it's growth, it's income, it's value. Valuation matters. And uh, this is potentially a good example of that. A uh, really good uh, letter from Howard Marks recently. I don't know if you two gents uh, were uh, reading that one, but he's making a really interesting points on valuation and the stupid distinction between growth and value investing. So I would I would highly recommend that uh, viewers check that out. Let's stay in the uh, biotech space. Uh, Scott, your first crack at this one. Jared wants to know about, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Aroa. The other thing for this one, unfortunately, is revenues are falling and profit and losses are rising. Um, and that's not great. So yes, they're doing some business. They've got 10 odd million dollars worth of sales. They're, they're, they're mm. doing their best to find growth. And that's great. Um, but at the moment, if, if you're going to buy these things, you at least want to see greater adoption and greater use by its target market as a very minimum. When sales are declining and losses are growing, I mean, gee, again, speculation, maybe, you know, maybe you can pick it, maybe you get lucky. Uh, but it's very, very hard for me to even <clears throat> look at a business with falling revenues and rising losses that's already so small and so young. It, it kind of it ticks no boxes. It crosses all the boxes. Uh, it's just one I'm going to have to leave alone. Yeah, Mark, you mentioned before you're talking about circle of competence. This seems to sort of fit under under well, that a lot of what we said on the, la the last one comes through to this as well. It does. But yeah. I agree with Scott. This is worse. <laughs> so it's only 80 million market cap, and it's sort of listed, and it's been going down. And the it's really you'd well, it's have only to 80. okay. Hmm? Oh, is it only I had it as 300 million, but I might have been looking at the wrong. Uh, no, so 80 million. Oh, 80 million. I think, I think, uh, let me see. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Not, not huge. Like 300, uh, market cap, yeah. 300 million. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so it is 300, uh, 336 million. No, there's zero. I have zero basis there to have an opinion on it. Yeah. You'd really have to understand the story and read all about it and get, read all the reports on what they're actually doing and then speak to people in the, in the space to say, how good is this? I mean, it's all of that. And if you didn't have all of that, you wouldn't even have even have the basis at a theoretical level of saying you'd want to back it. I, you, you beat me to the punch there. I think it, it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but you should probably understand what the product is and yeah. what its potential is and what the industry is like. And unless you, there'll be some surgeons out there, there'll be some people who operate in this space who have a very firm opinion. But uh, you know, if that's well outside of your normal day to day, you either need to be prepared to do a hell of a lot of reading and bone up on your biology and your uh, your medicine. Otherwise, you need to have uh, a very good friend who knows this stuff. Because otherwise, how do you how well, do you make an informed well, decision? It, it, I don't and, get it. And a company you like, PME, 
Yes. Prometicus. Now, yes. just on that. Now, that, that had great earnings history and so on. So that was a proven performer. Yep. We then spoke to the head of the Mayo Clinic in the US, who then contracted to use Prometicus for the Mayo, which is like massive. Huge. And he said that they uh, they studied, did a world study and Prometicus was best in breed globally. So I go tick. Tick. And then we had a, a risk panel assessment in Adelaide with all our medicos. We've got all the radiology uh, specialists in Adelaide. We did, we've got a little special specialisation there who use it. And told us all about it and how it worked and that, 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 that. You know, and all these go tick, 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 tick. And you start going, hey, this is a sustainable deal. Yeah. Uh, I thought I could get through a show without talking about Prometicus, <laughs> I'm, I'm showing you. I'm showing you. <laughs> yeah, fine. Uh, I did sell some on Friday. So, so you're so welcome, so market, for the, so uh, the game. That's, that's up there and yeah. this is down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, just it underlines that point. Know what the hell it is yeah. you are buying. It does require some work, but the, uh, the rewards are there for those that are prepared to do it. And fortunately, viewers, most people aren't. So if you're yeah. one of those people, that is massive <laughs> advantage. Um, let's, let's not dwell on that for too long. Let's talk Money3 Corporation. Mark, you're uh, first off the rank of this one. Helen wants to know, now this is a business that is in money lending, increasingly in automotive finance yeah. as well. Credit where it's due, they've had a pretty good history of growth longer term, although recently it hasn't been phenomenal. Um, a PE of 17, what do you reckon? Uh, yes, it's a company we have looked at. Um, we have looked at it in detail. At the moment, it's at the very top of the uh, PE range. Yeah, so it's not, it's not cheap. And their earnings, as you said, have dropped. So the drop, recent drop in earnings, now with, whether that's a consequence of corona or not, I mean, most of their lending is secured car loans. Uh, and they use brokers as well and so on. And there's been an impact on the industry, obviously, from, from Corona. Uh, their current earnings rating is running at about 4.5% a year with pretty good stability. And their sales is growing at about one4 So not, not, not exciting, but it, it has been good up until then. The consequence of that is that the returns drop to a negative uh, minus 1% now if you buy it at the current price. That's based on Conscious Investor, which is our models, to... Uh, looking at their current earnings rate and what you're paying for it and so on. Yep. So I quite like the business, but it's right now it's too expensive considering where they are. And their return on equity and return on capital have now dropped below 10%, which is our minimum as well, mm. because of the because of their performance drop. Yeah. I'm, I'm not overly familiar with it, Scott. Could maybe the argument be made for this sort of a bit of this uh, uh, speed hump potentially that it's just a case of building a new part of the business and then once that's sort of fleshed out that's a new platform for growth or am i being too generous there i i think well i think there's arguments you made whether it's a convincing one is probably whether or not to be too generous or not i'm not going to say it's a buy but what i'm going to highlight is i'd be watching this one a little bit closely because I don't know if you guys saw the news a couple of days ago but used car sales in 2020 the average price of used cars was up 30 percent over the last 12 months. Now, mm. we also know new car sales have been on the nose for about 18 months. If you think about what might happen moving forward with car purchases, now, a lot of the finance is for secondhand cars, by the way, but if you believe we might see an increase in velocity of car sales from car yards in particular, and this company is ready to take advantage of that new business, there may be a reason to believe that growing sales leads to growing profits, and you might make some money on this one if, you, if that trend does play out. And if you're watching closely enough, Again, I'm not a short-term trader. I'm not saying play the market moves, but if you do see some degree of actual real-world changes in their business because people are buying more cars all of a sudden or they're paying more for the cars they're buying, that should be good for the business as long as credit quality holds. The other thing, by the way, of course, credit quality should improve as long as we see no spikes in unemployment because the unemployment rate continues to come down. 
Again, I'm not buying it. I'm not saying that those things are going to happen. But if you watch this one carefully, you do get some positive news from the company. It may well be the current PE is lighter, is, is looks higher than maybe it should be over time. But if that's the case, there might be an opportunity. It just doesn't seem screamingly cheap. I'm just cheaper than the banks right now. So maybe if you want to play finance, this is one way you could possibly do it should you choose to. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'd be staying away from this until you see some concrete news that things are improving as you say they're over that speed hump. All right. So, uh, Helen, I hope that has helped you there. Scott, I'm going to stay with you. Here's a, another business that hasn't really been on the boards for that long. Listing back in 2019, I'm talking about QuickFee. Josh wants to know whether this is a business that you would have a look at. It's in that online payment space, uh, which is just, it's a, it, there's a lot of companies in that space. But I think to our earlier points, the, the devil is in the detail here. Can you shed a bit more light on what it is that these guys do, which sort of distinguishes them from other players in the financial services place? Yeah, right. QuickFee basically provides services to accountants and lawyers predominantly, letting their clients break up the, the fees over, how about this, for interest-free installments. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, in fact, they don't even do that, by the way. Split it, the listed business does that for them. QuickFee administers the difference. Factoring, as it's called in the industry, is an old, old, old practice. And, and yeah. this is effectively, we talk about buy now, pay later like it's brand new. The first is it wasn't really that new. Flexi Group's been doing it for years. But secondly, the idea of factoring has always been existent in the business marketplace. And effectively what happens is if, you, if you're, you're selling something, sell a bag of coffee to somebody at a cafe, for example, and they're going to pay you in 60 days. If you need that money or want that money more quickly, you can actually sell that bill, that, that account receivable to someone else. And they'll say, look, I'll give you 90 cents in the dollar and pay you now or you can wait two months for the payment. And sometimes you might do the maths and say, no, I'll wait, thanks very much. Other times you might say, gee, I'd like the, I'd like the cash flow, please. Yeah. I'll take that payment now. I'll take a discount on the payment, but I'll get it straight away. That, that removes the time issue and it removes the risk for bad debts because the bad debt then goes, if it happens, to the credit provider, or in this case, the, the factor agent. QuickFee effectively does that for professional services firms. And as I said, have now introduced this new uh, buy now, pay later version to let people pay over four equal installments. You know what's fascinating about this one? Their Australian business actually fell 41% in the most recent reporting period because businesses had better cash flow because of COVID and the stimulus the government was providing. It was a really <clears> interesting <throat> tidbit I found in doing the research for this, so thank you for the question. Um, and it was just interesting as an insight, by the way, not just into this company or its customers, but the broader economy. You know, 41% yeah. decline of people saying, you know what, I'll take, I, I don't want the money now. I, I don't need it that desperately. You don't, don't take your cut. I'll wait, thanks very much. Let the customer pay when they're ready because I think they're going to. And by the way, they're getting plenty of cash flow because I'm, I'm administering their, their job keeper checks or whatever it is. Um, so it was just a fascinating insight into that small business market as well. I think quick yeah. fee, look, there's a business there. We know factoring remains popular. I think will only be more popular over time. Everything is moving from a, a one-off lump sum to a, you know, when it comes to capital expenditure, right, we're all moving from one-off license sales to, to software as a service, so I can pay regularly in small amounts. The same is happening with bills with afterpay. This is kind of the meeting of those two minds. The business saying to its customers, look, I know you got cash flow issues, my fees are expensive, yeah, pay them over four months and pay quick fee. I'll, the quick fee will pay me straight away. I'm happy, you're happy. Let's kind of get on with business. That kind of spreading out of, of fees, of, of charges, of receipts continues to uh, continue a pace. It will continue over time. The question, of course, is, is quick fee the key recipient of that trend? Is it the key beneficiary of the trend? I'm going to say it's too early to know, Andrew. Quick fee, as we know it, is a combination, a new, relatively new combination of quick fee Australia and quick fee America. Um, and they're reasonably different structured businesses. The, the way people pay, the, the pace at which they pay, even the use of online payments is really different between those two markets. So uh, 
you know, again, it, it seems to be a pine out, pale out operator. It's certainly very promising that and publicizing that in its, in its annual releases. Uh, make sure that investors know that, hey, we're in this in this space too. I think you should treat it more as a factoring agent rather than a buy now, pay later provider. And I don't really see enough strength in that business, particularly given the more recent declines, unless you want to try and play some sort of bounce rebound. When JobKeeper goes away, they go back to factoring. Maybe that's how you play it, uh, but way too uncertain, way too small, way too new for me. Yeah, some really good insights there. Thanks for that, Scott. Um, Mark, the US business seems to be doing pretty well, though. Uh, I think the revenues there, in FY20, up 47%. And, also. and what other revenues? Did you see that? Uh, uh, no, I didn't. 2.8 million. Okay. So their total revenues okay. are 2.8 million. Right. This is a 74 or $5 million market cap business, which, as Scott said, was the uh, combination of two private companies, the US one and the Australian one. Yep. It seems that with transaction costs, they've taken most of that out and they've, they've still got 30 million in the business, but yeah. they're running, they're losing uh, 20% a year at the moment on sales. But the 2.8 million is a piddly business. I would argue this is too small to be a listed company with all the costs you have uh, to have a listed company with auditing and everything else. So mm. they will have to grow this very, very quickly for the economics to work and make a profit. Otherwise, they'll get killed yeah. with the uh, the compliance costs mm. as well. So uh, there's no way you could have a, an opinion on it. Yeah. Um, okay. they're, they're working in that area as Scott described and maybe they can make it work. Um, maybe maybe not, who knows. Yeah. It's a lot, that's a lottery one. It's, one. it's an interesting one, isn't it? In the, in the sense that um, this comes up a lot on the show. There's a lot of passes we get from our experts. And it's not necessarily because, oh, this is terrible. This is going to zero. It's no. just like, oh, no, it's it just very, very hard. And, 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 and you know, as I'm fond of saying, hope is not an investment strategy. You need to have a high conviction on what the business is going to do before you can even possibly contemplate whether shares are That's good right. value or right. not. So you need evidence. Yes, you need evidence. And when you have a new okay. listing, you don't have any, yep. unless, there's a, you know, unless there's been a very, very successful history as a private business, and we don't know that. Yeah, okay. Let's stay in the financial services space, mm -hmm. but we're going to talk one that has been around for a lot longer, Bell Financial uh, Group, BFG. I love the code. Any Roll Dial fans out there will know what I'm talking about. Um, Anthony wants to know, is this stockbrokings, financial advisory? Uh, the per share earnings up about 66% in the yep. last three years, and yet the PE is only 18. What's the, what's going on? Uh, it's an interesting business. We, we, uh, we have looked at it. It passes... Um, uh, all of our, uh, all of the team invest uh, filters. Basically, where they are is they're, they're the one of the last standing survivors from the old brokering, broker, brokerage businesses before the online brokers came in and killed them all. What they've done is they still are a traditional broker, but they also make most of their money out of capital raisings and uh, M and A activity for smaller, the smaller end of town of listed companies. Yeah, uh, which is great. Great environment. Nothing wrong with that. Right at the moment. Yeah. In fact, yeah. it was interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a director at Credit Suisse. And we were talking about this and about a capital raisings, and I thought they only did things over 500 million. So, no, 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 no. We're interested in 20 million. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how things have changed. Yes. <laughs> Which yes. I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the business actually uh, is pretty good. It is, the, the PE may sound cheap. It's actually at the top of the red, uh, that is the top of their normal PE range. The low PEs for them are 9.6. Or below mm. to be bottom quarter. So okay. it's on a high PE for the company. EPS growth has been running at 28% a year, which is excellent. Yep. Uh, sales growth at five. So that's bad in yeah. that long term, you can't keep growing earnings a lot faster than sales unless you have a lot of leverage. Yes. Not that much. No. So uh, that would be a constraint. So what that does for us is on our default models, which is predicting that they will continue just doing what they've been doing. Yep. You'll get 25% a year return over the next five years, which is good. Not bad. 5.9 uh, on safety. And the reason safety is so much lower is that disparity between sales. So we then discount 
their uh, ability to maintain that earnings growth over the period, so it brings it down. So it'll probably be somewhere in there, in between. So I'd, I'd say it's a buy. It's a buy. Okay, cool. Um, uh, Scott, I, Mark's touched on something there that's interesting too. For a business that gets a lot of its money from IPOs and these kinds of things, is there a consideration one needs to make in terms of potentially where we are? And we know that you know markets aren't always this uh, uh, attractive. Um, is that a consideration? I think it is, Andrew, I think it should be, at least in terms of the way you think about the earnings. When you have a cyclical business, you can play it one of two ways. You can either try and play the cycles. You can try and guess when the maximal minimum points might be for capital raisings or for brokerage activity or something else. And maybe you get that right, maybe you don't. The other way you can do it if you know the business is cyclical, but you believe it's a long-term secular winner, that is, despite the circles, you'll end up with higher highs and higher lows, not in the share price, but in the business performance. You can look through those cycles and look at what is basically the underlying or average earnings potential over that cycle and try and value it on that basis. Mm. And I think that's probably the approach I'd be taking with this one. It's a little bit like, I mean, again, Australia went for 30 years without a recession, so we're kind of out of practice as an investment community and remembering that we should factor recessions in or we should be mindful of what a recession might might do to earnings or to the broader economy. But this sort of environment, uh, the, the, car, the car deals are probably a good, a good example of that, looking at the way they've traded over time, their profits, um, their, their revenues. And again, we talked about that a little bit earlier with, with Money3. I, I think when it comes to, to Bell, it, it's a little bit too expensive for me, I have to say. I, I just think, is it 18 odd times, 18 odd times earnings? Um, it's just a business that you think, you know, it should be decent business and it's growing nicely. If there's a reason to buy it, is that growth that Mark highlighted. A couple of years are really steady, so step up growth year after year after year. The question we don't know, of course, if you go back a couple of years before that, uh, profits were higher and then fell in a, in a reasonable hole two or three mm -hmm. years ago. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not prepared to pay 18 times the, the kind of peak last five years earnings. And that might be a mistake. If they can structurally grow despite my concerns, yeah. then it will be a good price to pay. I think I'd probably want to be buying 12 or 13 times kind of some sort of peak oh. and maybe maybe 7 or 18 times average rather than rather than earnings that seem to be but at or now. near the peak of yeah. the last five or six years, yeah. Okay, I, I, I was being I was being generous. Sure, sure, I, sure. I agree with that too. It's, as I said, it's the top of the red for us. Context. We like buying in the green. <laughs> I always say context matters, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's why you've got to listen to the comments and not yeah. just the end uh, decision here. <laughs> okay, we uh, we did really well today. Let's do a quick wrap uh, run through of the last five stocks. We started with Polynovo, <clears throat> a business that really seems to have turned a corner, but it is it is a risky uh, area, and for that reason, it was. Two thumbs down. By the way, that was in the portfolio, uh, but it won't be after today, after those two thumbs down. Uh, Aroa Biosurgery, uh, way too early, way too difficult, outside of the circle of competence for these two gents. So that was uh, two thumbs down. Again, Money3 Corporation. And here's a business that um, the experts had a lot of positive things to say, um, but at this point in time, it just wasn't attractive enough to get them across the line. Uh, quick fee. Uh, here's a business that's um, uh, doing something that's been happening for a long, long Long time, i.e. factoring, but really trying to sort of get uh, some of that nice glow from the buy now, pay later space. But it's a bit too early uh, for Mark. It's a bit too early from Scott. And as Mark pointed out here, quite a quite a decent premium on the sales that it is generating at this point in time. And then we got to Bell Financial Group. Here's a business that's actually done extremely well in recent times. Uh, for Mark, it was a buy, although that was a, a marginal buy, fair to say, Mark. Uh, and for Scott, just a bit too expensive. So there you have it. Mark Morland from Team Invest, great to see you. Thank you, Andrew. And you, uh, yeah, and Scott Phillips from uh, The Motley Fool, good to see you again, Scott. Andrew, Mark, good afternoon, thank you.
It's uh, always a good show with these two guys. Now, remember, uh, we love to get your suggestions. If there's a stock that you're burning to get a bit of perspective on, uh, well, send us it through to us. And uh, you can do that via Twitter or email. The addresses there are on your screen. Also, a reminder to check out our portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio provided by NabTrade there. Uh, lots of good, uh, interesting suggestions you might want to take a closer look at. But that is it for today. We will be back uh, at the same time tomorrow, and we look forward to your company then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.